0: anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house. You send us a message, and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt
1: with your host, Martonic.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by AJ LaQuinta of Knights of the Apex. AJ runs the Bow Nerds podcast, is a talented photographer, and obsessed with archery and gear. We discuss the essential tools and skills needed to build your home bow shop on a budget. You can find the blog post that I did that goes along with this with the gear discussed at eastmeetswesthunt.com. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story from Jamie Kleinel in Pennsylvania. So Jamie wrote in and said, I woke up on October 29th, 2022, intending to hunt a different spot until I checked my phone and saw I had does on my cell camera Friday night. On the walk towards the area, I passed two fresh scrapes, and then there were four more and one was huge and still steaming. I sat in a big oak tree near some thick bedding and settled in. Nothing all morning until about 9 o'clock when I heard something behind me. I turned and caught a rack at 65 yards coming my way. I got my bow, turned around, and got ready. I ranged an opening at 35 yards, and as he stepped into that opening, I had a good shot opportunity and took the shot. I couldn't tell where my arrow had hit, but I had good blood at impact. I decided to back out since I needed to take my daughter to softball anyways. After practice, my seven-year-old son and I hiked back in and started tracking blood. We followed him for 130 yards and saw him piled up in a blowdown. What a great morning and even better PA public land mountain buck. So congrats on that buck, Jamie. Just awesome deer. And uh just another great story coming in here from Pennsylvania. There's been a bunch of PA ones this this fall coming through, and love seeing it from the home state and and seeing all the success. So again, congratulations! You can check out that post over at East meets West Hunt on Instagram or East meets West Outdoors on Facebook. Uh, if you have a, a story that you want to send in of a successful mountain buck hunt, then send it to Bo at East West Hunt dot com. With you know, it's a paragraph or so and a few photos, I'd love to be able to share it on a future episode of the podcast. Uh, in other news, uh, as I mentioned a little bit here in the very beginning of the intro, I wrote an article slash blog on my website with showing uh, some of my home bow shop setup that we're going to talk about here, and I also put together a gear list with some of the items on Go Wild. Uh, and as a reminder, you can use the code East meets West to save 10% off gear at the go wild app. So you can save some more money on some of these bow shop tools. Not everything's over there, but they do have some of the items. Uh, so you can save some money on some of the, the things that they have, uh, on the website there, but I put links, um, to all the other items too, in that blog, just to, to be able to show was, We talked about a lot in this episode, so I figured that might be another way of being able to help you will be able to find all of the, the information that we talked about here in this episode. So with that being said, uh, we'll jump right into this episode here with AJ LaQuinta. Thanks for listening. All right. AJ LaQuinta, welcome to the show, buddy. How's it going, man? It's good to talk to you again. I'm, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing great, man. Doing great. Enjoying. Uh, I'm a new dad. So,
1: uh, you know, it, it killed the season, but uh, for good reason. So I'm excited to have uh, a new hunting buddy in the woods with me in a couple of years. So it's, it's going good.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I know you were kind of preparing for that at the time when, uh, when I ran into you there, what was it beginning October when we did that hunt with quiet cat out in Illinois. And that's where I first met you at, but we've, we've ran around in similar circles for a while. So it was only a matter of time before we kind of ran into each other.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, we grew up hunting, not, I mean, two States over one state over from each other. So I grew up in, uh, hunting upstate New York, so not too far, similar, Similar mountains, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, no, that's it, that was pretty cool to find because now you live down in Florida, correct? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah so,
1: pe- people kind of assume I hunt whitetail down here, but not really too much, honestly. I save most of my vacation days to go back up north and uh, a lot less mosquitoes.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. like I, I Florida uh, is such a cool state, but it kind of freaks me out on the hunting side because of all the... <laughs> spiders, bugs, snakes that, uh, inhabit a lot of those areas. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking about it too critically, but that's kind of what I think about
1: the people that make it a little more scary. Honestly, I've gotten pretty used to, to all the animals, but, uh, (laughs) down here, but yeah, it's uh, you run into the occasional pirate on public land. That's for
0: sure. (laughs) That's funny. Um, so give a little bit of a background, um, on yourself and, uh, yeah, just kind of give a background on yourself and then what Knights of the Apex is.
1: Yeah, so uh, nice Apex has started probably, I guess, going on almost four years now. So I've got a, a nine to five. I manage a compliance team for uh, a financial firm. And uh, I was, I've, you know, lifelong hunter, grew up doing it. Uh, my dad was always a bow hunter. And my uncle, those are the guys that I looked up to and learned from and my grandfather growing up. So uh, after college, you know, I really dove into bow hunting hard. And uh, I was at a point in my career where like I finally, you know, had some some change in my pocket for some better equipment. Uh, and I was just getting frustrated going to bow shops all the time. I, I'm fortunate I have a great shop in the area, uh, Adventures Archery, but I was just getting annoyed having to rely on somebody else to handle my setup. So I started working on my own stuff, investing in the equipment to do so, and just sharing it on Instagram. Because at that time, social media was really just starting to pick up for hunting, but there wasn't a ton of gear-centric content out there at the time, even, you know, only three, four years ago. So I was just sharing it as just kind of, I, and I created nicely the Apex, just so it was more a community. I didn't want it to be a page where it was a whole bunch of selfies. Um, and it's been great, like getting feedback and interact with people. Uh, and then, you know, over time, I really found I loved uh, the photography aspect of it. And that's kind of grown into its own little entity. So now the page is, uh, you know, it's cool, because I get to work with, brands like quiet cat and montana knife company and some of the other ones and um you know work with those brands and produce content for for those guys uh which also gets access to gear that i can then share and talk about and it's cool getting insight into the inner workings of some of the you know this quote-unquote industry and getting a little more insight now getting to share that with people all over the world it's it's pretty surreal um like just how much all this stuff can pick up in a short period of time
0: Yeah, no, you've, you've definitely been, uh, definitely seemed like from the outside looking in, been growing, you know, over the last four years. And I like, remember when I first found out about you, it was funny because you're kind of like a faceless, um, company a little bit there. Like I knew of nights of the apex, but I didn't know who AJ was or like what you looked like until I started checking out your YouTube channel a little bit. And then I'd see you on there, but mostly your Instagram page and everything is, is product type stuff and videos and, and, and things along those lines. But it was kind of funny uh, to, to see that at first, but I liked, I liked the aspect of, of how much you just kind of nerded out on for lack of better terms on gear on bows and just like like tinkering with things and playing with it and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and sharing that in a way that's not like this is the only way of doing it or looking at it but this is kind of how I look at it and this is why and I, I think that helps helps people out quite a bit and and also the you know the idea of of, you know, you wanting to learn to do some of that stuff on your own. I think that's, I think that's a really important thing for people like that are, that are into hunting. And now I think there's a huge importance on having good pro shops and the, the way that those work. But Like, like, for example, for myself, I don't have a pro shop within an hour and 15 minute drive of me, like where I live at currently. I used to work at a pro shop when I lived down by Pittsburgh, but I don't have that available now. And, and most people don't, you know, I get questions all the time, even from people I know locally, where can I go or asking me to work on their stuff. But it's just like, it's, it's a valuable skill to learn. Um, especially if you want to play around with things and just and mess around with that kind of stuff so i think it's i think that's a pretty cool uh way you've kind of taken your business there
1: yeah and for me it's just been such a confidence booster in the woods because i'm you know i'm not one of these guys that spends 300 days in the field like i'm like most people i'm budgeting my vacation days for you know that probably cumulative week or two i get to hunt now fortunately i'm getting some more opportunities to hunt and i'm that's what i'm really focusing now is getting more opportunities to hunt but you know, I, I'm still working with just those couple of days a year. So for me, like part of it is just, I need my equipment squared away because the worst feeling in the world is showing up to camp and something's off and you're wondering, is this going to be okay? You know? And and now like it, I used to be that guy where it was like, don't even look at my bow. But now, I mean, <laughs> right before we went to Illinois, I literally restrung my bow the night before and paper tuned it and dialed it in that morning. We got there and I was confident with it the entire week, but unfortunately I didn't get to let one fly. Uh, not too many people (laughs) did that camp, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's just such a confidence booster. And then you're also, you're a value add at camp for everybody you hunt with. Right. So, um, but I'm with you, I think pro shops, like it's the watering hole. It's the lifeblood of the industry. Um, great pro shops are such a, a godsend. They're incredible. Like I love hanging out at shops and, talking to people and you get to just hear and learn so much, but you don't always have access to them. Like you said, and a lot of people don't. So it's, it is important to, I think, and it's, it's more, it's more easy than people think to, to start working on your own stuff and taking some more uh, accountability for, for your own equipment. And it just, it pays dividends for you when you're in the woods.
0: Yeah. And, and, and like I said, like it doesn't need to be an all or nothing thing when it comes to going to a pro shop or doing it on your own. It can be a supplementation of that, you know, or something happens and you need to be able to fix it right away. If you have the knowledge or the, the tools and capabilities to be able to do that, then you can make those quick adjustments because everybody knows that pro shops during hunting season and leading up to it are extremely busy and the turnaround times are not quick and that's not their fault. That's just the nature of the beast and that's when demand is at the highest point and I, I just think that it's it's really cool to to be able to do that on your own. And especially like right now, like this time of year where you know, most of the, mostly you're not hunting much. You're not doing, there's not a whole lot going outside. I mean, maybe in Florida where you got some warmer weather, but you know, and you start getting into Pennsylvania and some of the upper, uh, upper parts of the, the U S it's colder out and you're kind of inside some more. And it's kind of fun to tinker around with things and, and play around with some new gear and, and get it kind of dialed in well before, uh, the season rolls out.
1: 100%. Now's really the time. Um, you know, I mean, if you're buying stuff and you could rewind a couple months to like black friday and stuff that probably would have been the best time to save some money but as far as like diving into tinkering uh now's the best time here because you got months to to do stuff even if it's you know i I, to, I always tell people the gateway drug is fletching your own arrows right like bits and burger jigs like they never go bad right um, yeah. even those those plastic easy fletch jigs um, they're very easy to use, right? You're, you're probably going to waste uh, a couple of wraps and a couple of veins to start out as you learn some lessons, but uh, all in all, you're talking, you know, 15, 20 bucks for a pack of veins. And that's something that you can mess with different vein combinations and really drastically have an impact on your groups, especially when you start playing with broadheads. And that's a pretty low uh, low cost investment into something that could have a drastic impact on your setup, your tune and your confidence. So, um, I always like, if someone's like just really not sure, like where to start, but they want to just start doing something, start fletching your own arrows, fletch buddies' arrows. Like, um, I think a bits and jig is like 80 bucks. Uh, and some of those easy fletch jigs are like 30, 40 bucks. So, uh, it's, it's not too bad. And it's something that you can do while you're watching TV, while you're hanging out with the family. Um, and you don't need a lot of space for it.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's such a good point is like, so I have a, I have a Bits and Burger jig and that's what I use personally. And that's, I learned that from working at the shop and like the amount of different things you can do with that jig specifically. But there's also, like you said, like the easy fletchender. I think there's like, I don't know probably 15 different iterations that are similar to that now that make it super simple that you can put all the veins on at once, you know, just add some glue, do that, um, for like, you know, the more simpler approach to it. But it seems like the Bitsenberger is one of the oldest and also still the most reliable kind of, it's, it's one of those things that I feel like is like a hand-me-down, you know, like you talk about like a quality knife, like MKC, like something that you hand down to, uh, um, Hand down like through generations. Like that's one of those things uh yeah. that just doesn't go out of style.
1: Yeah, it does I mean it's it's completely analog, right? Like it's all metal and just knobs and it's it's gonna be good for your grandkids one day. So yeah,
0: um,
1: you know, it, it's definitely worth the investment and um you know, like I said, like and a lot of companies or if you, you have to go to a shop to buy your arrows or something like that, but a lot of even online retailers when you order your arrows they'll cut them for you and maybe even glue in the inserts. I think Lancaster does it for like an extra 25 cents or something like that. So the only thing left for you to do at that point is if you want to check if the arrow is squared up, right? If you want to get like a little arrow squaring device, I got mine bolted to the table right now. Um, but I think that's like, uh, you know, again, 20, 30 bucks. Um, and, uh, what I do is I'll take like a, a silver Sharpie and I'll actually just Sharpie the end of my, um, of my shaft and then just sand it down. And that just, Make sure that the end of that arrow shaft where it contacts that broadhead or that insert, that outsert, whatever it is, is 100% square. And then that's ensuring you're going even, you know, now you're, you're getting into more of like the, the fine details of a super accurate arrow setup. And, you know, at the end of the day, the bow's only as accurate as the arrow that you got. So now you're talking maybe 100, 150 bucks. You're all in uh, everything you, but an arrow saw. And you can work on all your arrows, right?
0: Yeah, no, definitely, and and arrow saws too. I mean, like, because they're you know you can uh, get some you can get some pretty good deals on arrows sure. and stuff that aren't, you know, cut and being able to do that yourself. Now there is a little bit more of an investment there, but that's that's if you know, especially if you're looking at from the standpoint if you're gonna do your own and, you know, you wanna do some of your families or friends or whatever and just kind of get practice with it or mess around with it or even, you know, make a little bit of extra money helping out doing that kind of thing. Um it's really not hard to do. Um I have one of the the Weston arrow saws uh, myself Same. Is that what you're using too? Same
1: thing. I think for the money, uh, and I know they've got a couple of different models. I think I'm looking at mine right now. It's the 120 volt um, with the the 8,000 RPM. So I think that one's like in the upper, like just under 200, it's like 180 or something like that. I've had it for years. I've cut hundreds and hundreds of arrows with it. Um, you know, and I know they get far more expensive than that, but I think investment wise, like you're in on that. And like you said, if... If you can even find, like, if you know that you've got buddies and they love to wait till the last second to get their arrows done <laughs> and the shop's not going to be able to do it, right? Like, um, that's, that's honestly what I did. I think my buddy, I was working on his bow so much. I think he actually bought me this off. I remember it's been a couple of years now, but, um, I, I built a couple of bows up for him and a couple dozen arrows for him. And he was like, dude, you're going to keep working on all my stuff. So here, I bought, I got this for you, which pretty dope. Um, hopefully yeah. everyone's got friends like that.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I I think I uh, yeah, I think the saw that I have I'm looking at it right now on Lancaster is the the Weston just the eight thousand RPM arrow saw, the pretty simple one. I don't have the dust collection system or any of that stuff on Dang. there. You don't you don't need that for doing your own personal things in in my opinion. Um but I uh I that's that's something that has been a pretty a pretty sweet investment. Definitely.
1: I will say if you are going to be messing around with that depth, you know, if you've got those leftover COVID masks, throw one of those on. Cause that carbon dust, you'll be sneezing that out for hours after uh, a dozen arrows or
0: two. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good point there. And, <laughs> and, and like, uh, no, I know like for me, like I have, uh, a shop like built in my basement kind of and like I have I took like the the pegboard and put it on the walls and I have all the hooks and I have I have a ton of different fletchings up there that I've accumulated over the years some extra ones and stuff that I have that I can always just kind of build you know mess around with arrows if I want and put them together and and uh it's 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 kind of a fun fun thing to be able to play around with it can be frustrating at the same time too like I've, I've learned uh with me I don't like switching arrow setups like once summer comes around uh it's just like i want to shoot what i'm going to be hunting with by that point you know i'd got some arrows that were sent to me to try out uh last summer that i never used during the season and i'm like now's the time when i'm messing around with them and playing with it because i just don't i don't feel confident in changing all of that stuff and and feeling good you know going into the the season with it
1: I'm the same way i've got two vein setups that um and the reason i've got two is because sometimes you know you can't find one or it's out of stock when you need it um but i've got two vein setups that are just tried and true for me and my setup because that's the other thing after doing this stuff for a little while you you like i've experimented with a lot of things but you realize like okay with my draw length, with the poundage with the type of trajectory that i feel comfortable with this is just what works best um, and that's the other cool thing is like, now I can, you know, if, if I get a new bow every year or, um, try new broadheads and things like that, like I have a consistent arrow setup that I know what it's capable of. And if it's not, then it means there's something else that I got to work on. Either it's the tuning or the broadhead or, or something else is going on. So, um, that's the other thing. Like it, it's really good. Once you start working on your own stuff, your baseline, like understanding your baseline as an archer and as a, a bow hunter is just that much easier to find.
0: Yeah, I mean like when you look at uh I guess when you look at arrows and as people, you know, I I think like when people get n- into archery from a new standpoint and start hunting, you know, they grab they basically grab some expandable broadheads and throw them on and, you know, because they're going to shoot out of the bow. And it's not I'm not saying expandables are bad. I'm just saying that that's the easiest route for a uh, a bow that might not be tuned right or an arrow that might not be spined correctly all those different things you know you know but as you start you're like oh maybe I want to try a fixed broadhead and you start putting you know some things that might create a little bit of like a wind sail on the front of it there and trying to figure out how to steer that that's when being able to play with the different you know fletching setups making sure um, you, you know everything's spined correctly and make sure you're spinning all your arrows and doing that stuff can can really improve, uh, that accuracy there and having that ability at home is, uh, will will save you a lot of time and money on, in the long run.
1: 100%. And, and, you know, arrow flight at the end of the day, like that's the really important, that's the most important thing when it comes to accuracy. Um, you know, all of the tools that we're going to talk about, like ultimately the test for me is when I set up my phone or a camera and I take a slow motion vid and I'm, you know, I'll, i I want to launch it, 50 yards or more and just i want to see what that arrow flight looks like ultimately which oh, hit my mic uh, but i want to see what that arrow flight looks like because you, you know we'll, and we'll get into paper tuning setups and things like that but um that's a good like that's a good like reference point but ultimately that arrow's got to track downrange because you want that arrow to hit um and and track just like a laser beam going into the target you don't want that thing fish tailing. Um, you will also like, as you get into tuning stuff yourself, like realize like how much you can get away with too. Like with a mechanical, I remember I I set up an 80 pound bow. Uh, I think it was a, it was a Hoyt pro defiant. So they still had the yoke system. And this was one of the first bows I worked on. Uh, And I just, I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I, you know, I tuned it how, you know, I watched a couple of YouTube videos and tuned it how I thought it was going to be good. And I could read the Easton logo on the side of my arrow while I was going down range. Right. But it would it would correct and track and hit the target almost square on. But in between, you know, those 40 yards, that thing was fish talent. So, um, which is not something you want it to do, but, um, you do realize like, okay, well, this is like there, there's, you have like such this, um, this scope of forgiveness that you can get away with too. And like how drastic you can tune stuff. Um, and also it, that helps just give you a little confidence. Like, okay, like, this one little string is frayed. Like I'm going to be okay going into the woods because I've done this a hundred times. And I've seen like what that means versus like, am I going to pull back and this bow is going to explode on me? Right. Like having that doubt in your head, stuff like that. Um, just understanding like the the limitations of your equipment. Like that's, for me, that's one of the big things is uh, working on my own stuff, just understanding those limits. Um, it's funny. Cause like, usually, you know, my bows will be the most like out of spec out of all my buddies. Cause I just, I don't have time to work on my own bow. A lot of times, like I'll set it up <laughs> when I first get it and it'll be pristine. And then by the end of the season, like the thing looks like it was in a train wreck, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, but you, you also like, I know like right now I'm, I'm only hunting where I can shoot 20, 30 yards here in Florida. Just that's the property that I'm on right now. So, um, and I know that I'm, I, you know, I'm plenty accurate with the bow right there. So I'm not necessarily concerned with those marks but that's again from years of having just messed with these these things and just knowing the setup and knowing what it's capable of
0: yeah no m- most definitely and and i and i know this could be a a whole podcast of its own so i don't want to go too deep on it but yeah. the fact about um but talking about you know the last thing about arrows like do you um when you're when you're going through and testing the fletchings, are you like doing a lot of different, you know, three and four, four fletched, uh, you know, changing between that? What do you kind of see the the, the benefits and, and everything with that?
1: So I, I did for a while. Um, and yeah, this could definitely be a, its own <laughs> podcast. I did for a while there, um, especially when I would change arrow setups, when I would change like shafts or broadheads. Um, I would take two or three arrows and I would fletch them up with different combinations, right? Like the ones that I wanted to use. Um, and early on, like you don't know what you don't know, right? So like I would get as many different veins as I could get my hands on and and test as much as I can. For me, what I found the two setups that I really like. Um, I've got uh, my buddy Kyle um, has DCA custom arrows, so he's got these uh, Super Saber veins, um, which ironically, like we both. Uh, you know, nerded out on arrows differently. And we both kind of found that that two and a half degree offset to three degree offset is just super consistent from both a grouping and an efficiency perspective. So something you'll hear uh, guys talk about, like Levi Morgan talks about this a lot, but a a parachuting effect. So if you have these, these veins create drag, and if you have uh, too much surface area or too much helical or too much vein, you're going to create more drag than you need to correct for any inconsistencies, either in the arrow tune, the bow tune, the broad head. Um, and what that's gonna do is it's gonna create a parachuting effect. So your arrow is gonna drop out of the, the air faster. Now, does that really matter for hunting distances, like 50, 60 yards, especially for like whitetail hunters, right, like probably not, but especially like total archery challenge, when I start practicing at like 70, 80, 100 yards plus, I definitely see a difference um, when I start running, if I'm, uh, testing setups with more vein or more helical. Um, so I really like this setup. It's just a three, three fletch if, and this is really consistent and I can tell like messing with different broadheads, how good those broadheads are now, because I know how accurate these can be. Um, I was, I was shooting both, uh, mechanicals. I had severs, rages, uh, and then day six and iron will. So those are four like very accurate setups. And I was, I was like shocked at how accurate I could be out to 50, 60 yards. Like I was consistently hitting lacrosse ball size groups, which for me is really, really good. Um, so that's kind of like the bar that I, I hold everything to after that. Um, because that's kind of like my limit as with my setup, um, as far as like how good I am as a shooter. And then the other thing, the other setup I like is this one's actually a four fletch, Um, but this is a slightly smaller vein. So this is like a, your standard blazer profile. Um, this is actually Easton's bully vein. So it's still, it's a blazer profile. Boning makes it, it's just a slightly harder material. It's actually the heat vein material that, uh, boning makes. So it's a little stiffer, which just makes it a little quieter. Um, so the reason, and this, these group and, and hit exactly the same. Um, I just found that with the slightly smaller profile, uh, the four fletch was just more forgiving in the, the blazer profile than, um, the super saber, which is why I run the three, but uh, they both perform exactly the same. The reason I got two is, like I said, sometimes one's out of stock or maybe the color you wanted is isn't there, or whatever. Like it could be some stupid reason too. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it it helps to have one or two. But again, like veins are pretty cheap most of the time. Like you can go to your pro shop and like ask them for a couple of samples. Um, if they don't, I think they actually sells sample packs for some AAE veins. Um, and you can mess around, throw them on two, three arrows. Um, you know, it's a pain in the neck to strip them, but that's why it helps to use wraps. Um, and uh, and just figure out what works works best for you. And especially if you're somebody that you know you're married to a certain broadhead that you just, it's your trusty rusty, and you don't want to deviate from it. Like, figure out what vein works best with with that broad uh, with that broadhead. Excuse me
0: have you ever wanted to have levi morgan andy may johnny stewart and others available at all times well you can with cyber scout from spartan forge cyber scout is like the chat gpt for outdoors men and women you can ask it any questions related to bow building scouting hunting survival and a whole lot more i think you'll be impressed with how it responds CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code East Meets West 10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, uh, I, I would went to four Fletch for like four years. I was running four Fletch and I just felt, I don't know. I had more confidence in like, I felt like it was going to fly better with the broadheads. Well, as I started, um, I think it was about partway through that. I started using iron wheels and I was talking to Bill from iron wheel and he was like, man, you can run a three fletch and get the same thing and you know, get the same results out of it, but not having, you know, that parachute effect and everything else that you discussed there. And I switched to it this past year and I had noticed absolutely no difference as far as like it wasn't you know, my broadheads weren't flying all over, even with the wide, you know, the wide broadheads and everything. So I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, kind of stick with that. And it's just finding out kind of what works for you. But I knew I knew that that can go a lot deeper, but I just kind of wanted to, to touch on that real real quick before we went into the rest of the stuff.
1: No, and it's an important question, and that's one that I get all the time, is like three versus four fletch. And what I tell people is if you're somebody who you're just getting into this, run a four then because it, it will group tighter. You are gonna have more drag, but at the end of the day, you want that confidence right? Like there's a very good reason. Like if you, uh, I'll use Dudley as an example, right? Like he's the, the archery educator, um, kind of, you know, litmus test. And there's a good reason he sets up all of his buddies' bows with a three inch, four, uh, a three inch vein at a four fletch, right? Cause it's going to be super forgiving. So all of these new archers that are just learning how to grip the bow, they're probably going to torque it under pressure. they they might not recognize that they had a arrow attitude, Right. That four fletch is going to save them potentially from you know a marginal hit to a good hit or or you know a, a, a good hit to a bad hit. So, um, but they're not going to have that same efficiency downrange. But they're probably not hucking it at hundred and twenty anyway, right? Or they're doing a yeah. packet It doesn't matter, right? So, um, yeah, no, it's it's a good topic. It's an important topic, and that's also why, like, I think it's such a good thing to start investing in if you're interested in this sort of thing, because it doesn't cost a whole lot of money and you can start doing it over time.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. So let's go a little bit like more. Uh, let's get a little more in depth. Like if you're working with, um, I guess when you want to set up your own bow and stuff. So bow press is like the kind of the first thing that comes to mind. It's like your, your, your big purchase that everything's kind of everything else kind of surrounds, you know what I mean? The bow press is kind of your foundation there. What what do you what do you run for a, a bow press? What's kind of your thoughts on that?
1: I have just this the you know the pretty standard Easy Green press from last uh, from Last Chance Archery. Um, you know, I, I, if you wanted to upgrade, it, if I were to upgrade it, really the only thing I would change would be the wheel. Instead of like it's got like a crank arm on mine, um, the wheel is just a little easier if you're working in the press all the time. That's why you see most pro shops use it. But you can usually find these either used or on sale for a pretty heavy discount. Um, and then there's accessories that go right into that right so if you have a bow that has past parallel limbs you can adjust it for that it's you know it's an add-on but they also have draw boards that slide right into the arms of the press um so i think like you know i've never felt like this press has limited my ability to tune or work on a bow um and again it's something that you can usually find probably this time of year for for cheap as you know or used or on sale
0: yeah, no, I I run the same I run the same press myself, and and uh, I bought mine used from the bow shop I used to work at. I think I paid a couple hundred dollars for it, and I have a wheel on mine though, so I do have the the wheel on it, so it makes it a little bit easier as far as cranking that down and everything. But it's worked with all of my bows that I've worked on so far. That's what's nice about it. Like you know, there's there I remember when and when I worked at the shop and we'd upgraded to some other different presses that were fancier and had some other stuff that was involved with it. And those worked great and had their own things. But I feel like this easy press is like, it's, it's kind of like the Jeep of, you know, like bow presses, like where you can get a ton of different accessories for it. It's, you know, it's not, absolutely great at anything but it's good at just about everything and it has you know it has that capability there it's pretty reliable and and relatively cheap i think even like the standard to buy one new is 425 dollars. like the when i was checking on um uh lancaster there earlier today but they're you can, but you said you can buy them used. It's not like they go bad. Like they're not. Nope. there's not much I can break on them. And I have mine bolted down to an old desk that I bought, and I don't remember where I got it from, but it was like a yard sale or something. It was an old workbench that I got and and bolted to, or you could get the legs that are on it.
1: I and I actually I took this idea. I think I saw Joe Rogan posted like a story, and and I saw this in the background. I was like, that's genius. I've got mine bolted to one of those uh, burrow brand, like the $25, uh, wooden saws that you can pick up from like any Lowe's or home Depot. I just have it drilled right into that. So I can actually, I've got my little setup in a spare bedroom that we've got at the house and I can then move it around and throw it in the closet if I'm not using it or I need space in the room or something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's 25 bucks to mount it to, to that. And then you've got a portable setup. Um, the only things I added to mine, I the wheel's nice. I'm a little jealous that, uh, that you got the flywheel (laughs) on there. Um, but the only things I added to mine is I've got one of the draw boards that slides into the, uh, the arms. Um, I have the last chance draw board, but I think there's actually, I think it's archery designs with a Z. Uh, they make, in m- my opinion, uh, a bit of a more robust draw board. It uses more of like a ratchet strap than, uh, the, the last chance almost feels more like deal material. Um, but I've been recommending that to people. Um, I've helped a couple of people build their... They're at-home setups. Uh, and that's a really, really solid uh, draw board that just slides right into the arm. So it doesn't add any more space to uh, to your setup. Uh, and then the only other thing I have on there is I, I had uh, my buddy Kyle uh, Moro from Moro Innovations make me some 3D printed magnetic trays for um, like little nuts and bolts and stuff that you're working on and Allen keys, razor blades, stuff like that. So they're just magnetic. So I can just drop all the little parts in there. And I don't have to worry about them bouncing around the shop floor and things like that.
0: (laughs) That's so that's so big. Like how many times you lose things? Me personally, I've done that more times than not. I noticed that you had them for sale over on your website. I was looking at the magnetic trays there. And I think that's such a a cool, um, cool aspect with it. Like, I have one of the tool organizers on, on mine, which is nice for some of the tools there. But like when you're working on things and setting them in places, you don't bump the table or lose it like it's just so easy to lose those little tiny components
1: Oh, well, especially like years ago now most of the brands have gone away from it but like when you were working with eclipse and you'd pop one of those things and it'd fly across oh, the room man. and it was it was gone forever you know you just weren't finding that thing but uh but no it's one of those stupid little things that that's why like i bought a bunch and threw them on the website because i was like this just makes life so much more less stressful when uh when you're working on bows
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and so the draw board is something I don't have and that I really want to add. Like that's, I I've learned, you know, I I've, you know, draw boards for tuning. And then also for like, if you're running like a QAD rest or something that to be able to time that rest without like, you know, me, I'm trying to draw it back and trying to figure out when it's, you know, coming up, it it just makes it so much easier to have that draw board at that point.
1: 100%. I mean, I had my wife just, recording it back in before i could afford you know throwing the drawboard in there like i had her just with the phone like recording it and telling me if it was good but uh so you definitely could get away with that um but it is just so much easier like you were saying especially if you're working with those cable driven rests um you know and and i'd even say like kind of backpedaling a little like if you're still hesitant about investing in the press and the drawboard like if you want to start with something else, like so, you could just tie in, you know, uh, tie in your peeps or reserve your center serving. Like, invest in a serving jig. Uh, it's just a little twenty-dollar part. Um, I think AE makes makes a good one. Um, and then you can at least like cut your D loops off, reserve that center serving to uh, to get the proper knock fit because that's a thing that robs a lot of people of accuracy that they don't think about. Uh, if their knocks are too tight or too loose, that's really going to have a drastic impact on how accurate you are and what your groups look like downrange, uh, And that's something, again, like 20 bucks, they don't go bad by the serving of your choice. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you want to get something that's um, pretty, uh, that'll work with most knocks on the market and most strings on the market, like something in like the 16, uh, 1600s or, um, or uh, 1800s is like probably a good size to start with. Uh, and then you can work on your center servings, repairing that, doing that. Cause those are things that'll wear out over the year and your D loop, right? And again, like D loop is full of D loops, not that expensive. I think you can even get one foot lengths off of, uh, pretty much anywhere you go. Um, but that's like another like cost-effective way to start working on your setups. Uh, and then you're only relying on the shop for your timing and, um, and really that's it. If you want the strings swapped out, but the, the press eventually you got to get the press, right. And the drawboard board definitely helps.
0: What, what about, okay. So the serving jig, uh, that's something I don't have. I have serving and I do, what, what benefit does that add to have that jig? It really,
1: it's really the knock fit. Um, and I found with, with a lot of, especially with the factory strings, the factory strings on a lot of bows, uh, you know, strings are one of those things. They're kind of like iron sights on, on pistols, right. Like the companies just don't invest a ton of money in because they know most people are going to swap them out eventually anyway um so most companies right their strings their factory strings like they're okay like they're they're fine but you're probably going to wear them out after the season for me in florida like i it's 70 degrees in my house and then it's as hot as 100 degrees outside like i'll literally step outside and see the wax start to like sweat out of my strings, just from the change in temperature and humidity. Um, and after like a, a couple of dozen to a hundred shots, like I'll, I'll get a significant uh, stretch in those strings to the point where I'm actually losing poundage. Um, so for me, like I always swap out my strings, right when I get a new bow, I get an aftermarket set of strings and I keep those stock strings as a backup. I throw them in the bow case uh, and they've saved my butt on more than one hunt. Um, I keep them in my, my travel case and, you know, God forbid I nick a cable or something. Um, all I need to do is find a press, go to a shop and just swap out that one string. Um, but the, the, the serving jig is really helpful because, uh, we were talking about knock fit, um, you know, not all knocks are the same size, not all strings are the same diameter. Um, so that knock fit is something that it really has a drastic impact on your accuracy because it, it, that little piece of plastic controls how consistently that arrow leaves that bow, right? So uh, that point of release is critically important um, as one of the the points of consistency. So a proper knock fit, you wanna have that positive click on the string, right? But you also wanna be able to, what I'll do is I'll actually clip it on the string. Uh, and here, I'll grab my bow.
0: So for anyone that's listening here, we. So anyone's listening, you can go over to the YouTube channel and check out the video version of the podcast. And you can see AJ as he's showing some of the stuff here on the, on the screen.
1: Yeah. So I'll actually, uh and you might even be able to hear this, but I want to hear a click. So I want that positive click. So that way, you know, if I'm knocking an arrow in, in the dark or under red light, when I'm getting into the stand that I know it's on there positively. And then I want to also though, I want to be able to slide it up and down and twist it back. Oh, I'm not on the camera and twist it back and forth without you can see my d loop and my peep aren't moving if my d loop and peep are twisting right that's going to affect my tune because if i'm especially if i'm using something like a handheld release where you're actually putting a little pressure on that d loop you're going to be putting you're going to be translating that pressure to that knock right and twisting that arrow a little bit and that goes into other things too you get Um, you know, if you're, if your D loop's too tight on the knock and it's pinching the knock and lifting the arrow up, right. That's going to affect your tune also. Um, but that center serving is where a lot of that proper knock fit is going to come from. It's definitely easier to swap out center serving than trying to mess around and swapping out all your knocks because you really can't adjust the knock too much because you can, if you try stretching it out or, or shrinking it, you can actually damage that plastic. And that's how you end up with dry fires and um, and injuries that you just, you want to avoid. So, um, centers, uh, that serving jig is definitely something, uh, worth investing in. Um, and again, like 20 bucks, you know, you're, you're not in it for that much. Um, and that's something that'll have a big impact on, on your accuracy potentially.
0: Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I think that's, uh, that's, that's something cool that, that I didn't, didn't realize the, the importance of that. I had, I, I typed it in on my list here something to something to pick up. Uh, as as we move forward like and like you said like you can do so much without the bow press too like you're talk about tying things in you know d loops that that kind of stuff that's what type of d loop material do you like and what 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 are your kind of thoughts on that
1: so I've been using bcy number twenty four uh rope for a couple of years now and I like it um they also make a Uh, like a two-tone version, which has like a color and then uh, black or silver. Uh, And anytime you get into colors with the BCY material, um, both strings and whether you're talking strings or dealer material, uh, the different colors seem to have an impact on like how much stretch or consistency you'll get. So that's just something to like keep in mind if you're swapping stuff out. Um, But I've actually been working with uh, Bloodline Fiber who they're an actual fiber manufacturer. Um, so they're not a, a string builder. They make the the fibers that go into the string. So they work with um, you know like your your America's best or or a three or whoever um to actually produce the fibers that go into the string. So they're working on uh, dilute material right now. Um, strings are one of those things that the reason they actually got into it is because they're one of those areas in archery where um, we had like a good enough product, and nobody really bothered to develop it anymore. So, Um, technology when it comes to coatings and materials has come a long way in recent years, but it hadn't made its way to the archery industry. Um, one of the, the the reasons I'm such a big proponent and I've started working with these guys is because they use a polymer coating on their strings. So you don't need wax. Uh, so that makes a more consistent string because wax is subject to the elements. So that's why like in moisture, humidity, elevation, all these things, you'll get some variation. Uh, in your bows tune. Whereas if you're using a waxless string, you're not subject to that same thing. Um, I'm able to, we were, we were shooting in the rain one day, I could literally shake my bow off. And at 50 yards, I was less than an inch lower on my point of aim point of impact, which that could just be the difference between the drag of the rain hitting my, my arrow or not. Um, that's something that like, I, I've never experienced that with, um, you know, back when I was like waxing my strings all the time. Um, so that's, that's something like, you know, if I was to recommend, uh, an upgrade, um, you know, make sure you're like keeping your eye out on your strings and your D loop. Um, just every season, if your D loop, you know, check your D loop throughout this, every time you knock an arrow, quite frankly, um, I like to tie in my servings on either below the knock or one below the knock and above the knock. And then I'll put my D loop, um, around that. But, um, I think you can see that on there. Um, but yep. so there's just a little knocking point above my arrow and or above the knock and below the knock. And then my D loop goes uh, on either end of that. The reason I do that too, is because your D loop is gonna be one of the first things to wear out. And when I swap that, I don't wanna have to retune the bow. I don't wanna have to paper tune it again. So if I have those serving, those knock points tied in there, I can just cut my D loop off, swap out my D loop, and I don't have to worry about my knocking point shifting at all. Um, that's something that like, I'm glad like a lot of shops uh, have started doing that more, but I know like for a lot of people, shops don't do that. Um, but that's something again, like if if you just something you can do on your own um, and just make your life a little easier when it comes time to set up that belt.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's a I'm glad you brought that up because I started doing the the top and bottom on mine uh, because I was wearing out D loops. I shoot a lot, so I was wearing them out a lot. But also, I didn't realize that on my knock to it, I had a little burr.
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: i ended up i was just ripping through d loops like and actually so i was going through different materials trying to figure out because i couldn't see the burr like it was so small that i couldn't figure it out that it was there and then um uh levi morgan had, and with and a lot of other people had maybe even you had recommended it to me through Instagram when I'd asked uh i don't know it was a couple of years ago now, and I put the b c y twenty four on and I liked that a lot and it was even holding up with that burr for a yeah. long time where I was going through other ones in you know three or four weeks. So it was, it was pretty incredible how good that lasted. And once I um, got that release kind of sanded down and I went back and forth between that and another release, that D loop lasted me all year, but having the, the serving, you know, tied in between there, like you said, when you do wear them out, then you can take that off and you don't have to go through and and retune your bow essentially and make and and, because if you can't get that d loop in the exact same spot it's really difficult uh to be in the be just as accurate as you were before that well i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with the buddies hoy rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stalk just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there.
1: 100%. Yeah. And certain releases will just chew up D loops more than others, um, you know, just based on the claw design and things like that. Mostly like the higher end ones, like once you start getting to like Noctua, True ball, um, ultra view, like that range, they're pretty good. But um, I know like some of the handheld releases I used in the past, like I'd go through D loops all the time. Um, and so that's something to, you know, that's just one thing you're knocking your arrow anyway, like take that extra half a second to inspect that arrow, especially when you're practicing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it'll just go a long way and nobody, I uh, think you shoot it long enough, you'll punch yourself in the mouth eventually, but, uh, yeah. I try to avoid that as much as possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, most definitely. Uh, what about, uh, what are you running for a, do you run a, for a bow vice? Like, what are you using? And the, what, what do you kind of think about those?
1: I love them. They're great. I haven't, I actually haven't invested in one yet. Um, just because they are pricier, like of the accessories, they are pricier. And if you have the press, you can get away without the vise. Like I know a lot of guys love throwing the bow in the vise and they put the levels on their arrows and the string and, and that's their starting point for tuning, um, personally, I, I don't like, and I, I didn't start out doing that. Um, and I was able to tune well enough without it that I just, I couldn't bring myself to spend the money on it. Cause they are expensive. Um, I think they're at least like a hundred bucks, if not 200 plus dollars, um, So it's just, it's always like, it's still now one of those things where like, I've been to, like when I'm working at shops and stuff and and helping people out, like it's great having it. And I'm like, oh, I really need to buy one of those, but I always have it in the cart and I just can't hit myself to hit, uh, bring myself to hit that checkout button on it.
0: (laughs) So what, so how do you do, so how are you doing that without that? I'm curious as far as like, how are you um, getting, like, because the way I use mine, and I have a cheap one that I've spent $40 on, and it sucks mm. bad. It's um, <laughs> it's an American Archery product one. It's just a yellow thing that basically you bolt on, and then there's, mm-hmm. like, these big, heavy kind of, bolt, like, screws in there that, that you can tension it down, and it just, it never stays in place, and it's, it's difficult, and when I worked at a shop, we always had the October Mountain products, yep. like, the ones that move around on the swivel there, and you can those tell them are the at different angles. They're the freaking best, but they're two hundred and some dollars, yep. and that's where I've kind of struggled with, you know, buying that myself. But I'm curious to hear kind of how you're doing that.
1: I've been bugging the guys
0: at uh, Quattro Archery. They're a, a small
1: South African company. They make the stabilizers that I use. But I know I've known those guys for years, and I've been bugging them to come out with like a less expensive vice because I really want one. Um, but like you, like I just I haven't done it. But for me, I actually, uh, and this is something that um, you know, like going back to like, everybody does it different. I eyeball it. Um, I know uh, a lot of guys that honestly eyeball it, but with the, when I was shooting a, a, a Matthews, it was super easy because the cams are, the cams are symmetrical, right. And then the bows are designed. So you shoot through the center of the riser. Right. So, um, that was super easy from a tuning perspective, because if my cams are in time, right. Then just, like rationally, my ideal knocking point should be in between those two camps, right? As long as your riser allows for that clearance, then your knocking point should be dead center in the middle of those two camps. And I think Levi Morgan, um, actually heard is this is how he sets his up too. So before the QAD, the integrate rest even came out, I would actually set my knocking point first, and then I would adjust my rest to be roughly, you know, so my arrows at a 90 degree angle with my bowstring. And that would be my starting point. Uh, And then for left and right, I would go off. I always forget what the measurement is off the riser, but I would use that like standard measurement off the riser. And I usually pretty close to on Um, with the PSEs, same thing. They have the symmetrical evolved cams, um, but like with the primes, you you know, you can't do that because their grip is in the center. So they don't allow for the clearance. So with something like that, and uh, Hoyts were the same way. Um, I shot Hoyts for a lot of years. What I would do is kind of the traditional method of, I'd set up my rest. So the arrow, the shaft is running through uh, the center or the top half of the burger buttonhole. And then I would just adjust my knocking point. Um, Usually uh, bows like that tend to like a slightly knock high setup. Um, So I'd be pretty close to 90, um, little knock high. So I'd probably put, I'll mark it with a Sharpie where I'm at, and then I'll probably put my knocking point where that sharpie mark is. So it's pushing the knock just a little higher. And then I'm usually pretty close. I'm within like one hash mark or so uh, of adjustment um, when it comes time to paper tune. Um, so that's something, again, like you can get away with, I think everything else that we'll probably talk about, it'll be like a nice to have after the equipment we mentioned. Um, and it makes your life a little easier having like the levels and stuff like that. But um, it, depending on your setup, you don't necessarily need it.
0: Yeah. No, that, that makes, that makes total sense. And, and, uh, yeah, so I, the way I've always done it is like with my primes is I've always taken the rest and I set it up through the center of the burger buttonhole And yep. then I go and I'd set it just a little bit knock high and I would yeah. use, you know, a level that was on my string and kind of making sure my bow is level. And then I'd put one on the arrow and then that's how I'd kind of set that up there. But, um, and I'd always tie the serving on the top first. And mm-hmm. then get it down to where it was and then that's how I was going through and, and uh doing that essentially.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And the the newer PSCs have been like that for me too. because right? the the grip's a little I'm really running close clearance wise, depending on the vein and rest setup. So I do um some you know, something similar for those too now.
0: Yeah. No, that's and I, I think that's a good point that you made as far as like anything else we talk about are, are really nice to haves versus you know what you what you necessarily need for it i mean all in what what do you think like um i probably should have prepared you for this up front but what do you think like all in that you could be on a on the cheap side as far as having a pretty effective like at-home setup
1: well going through what we just talked about right so if we do let's say and we'll be like moderately conservative right so let's say bits bits and burger jig uh arrow squaring device right and we'll keep materials out of it so not including veins and glue but bits and burger jig arrow, arrow squaring device um if we throw a saw in there press draw board um and then i'm trying to think if we mentioned anything else that was like necessary but you're talking just- about like probably 750 um, you know, maybe to a thousand bucks on the high end, if you wanted to like get everything brand new and you didn't take advantage of any sales or anything like that. Like, um, so you're talking about the price of a bow, right. Um, which if you're somebody that buys a bow or spent or pays a shop to tune your bow, um, you know, a couple of times, you know, once a year, like that's, that'll pay for itself, like pretty over a couple of seasons.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. And, and then like some of the things that aren't really, uh, aren't really expensive, like the essential tools. Like I like that little Pine Ridge, uh, Allen wrench set. Yep. I like, yep. that's what I take with me, like in my travel kit when I go. And then I have like, I have my own separate Allen wrenches that I just keep on mm-hmm. my bow press just so I don't I'm not taking them from one place to another, and but you can essentially use both of those. But I, I like that Pine Ridge setup um, as far as the Allen wrenches; those seem to work pretty well. Um, the D-loop pliers, I think, are yeah. are super important. I've like those made my life easier with tying D-loops and putting them on.
1: They're definitely better than any way you cut it. They're better than using just normal pliers. I have done that too, but uh, the D-loop pliers are are great. They they definitely make your life easier. Um, the other things I've got that are add-ons, I like the Hamsky uh, Easy Third Axis Adjusted Adjustment. Um, so, can I go ahead? Now?
0: Yeah, I am glad you're saying that too because that's one of the that's one of the other things that that I was looking at that I I want to do because I'm sick of going out to the corner of my house and drawing <laughs> my drawing my bow back and running it up and down hoping I don't accidentally hit my release and then trying to figure it out. And it's just, it's, it's not the most effective way.
1: Yeah. And that is a way you can get away with doing it. So, so uh, for those that like, (laughs) don't know what what Bo's talking about. So if you have a straight line, uh, like any level straight line that you can trust, like the corner of your house hopefully is, uh, is level and straight. Um, But you come to full draw and you always want to test your third axis at full draw. So you come to full draw and you trace that line with the side of your bow and your level on your, your bubble should stay level the entire length of that line. So like another way you could do it, if you've got a one story house like me is I I used to hang a string, um, from the ceiling with like a little weight on it, um, to, to get a level. Um, but if you want to get a tool, Hamsky makes a little easy leveler tool. So what you do is you you drop, uh, this has a, a level in it. So you put this on the tower of your bow site, um, and just, tighten it down on there. And then what you actually do is put it in the draw board and uh, draw the bow back to full draw and then adjust the third axis until it matches up with the level uh, on your tower. And the reason you wanna test that at full draw is because your risers actually torque um, under pressure. So as the, the pressure from your string transfers to your cables, that riser is gonna torque. So that's what's gonna cause your third axis to be off um if if you don't adjust
0: for it yeah no that's that, that that makes total sense and like so that that's where it'll affect you on your uphill and your downhill shots sure. with your sight. and 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 i think that's something that gets overlooked uh quite a bit and i remember the first time that i really noticed that was when i shot total archery challenge for the first mm-hmm. time and i was shooting downhill at longer distances and i was hitting off to one side or the other depending on if it was uphill or downhill and i was like okay yeah my third axis is not on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, and that's a good thing. Like having that trick, like you talked about the corner of a house, that's, that's a good thing. Or if you have this tool, um, to check when you get into camp too, especially if you fly into camp or, you know, you're on a road trip and you had the bow in the, the, the bed of a truck or something like, um, sites take a beatings, even in good bow cases. So that's something that's just, uh, it's just good for you to understand how to check.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. What about anything else? Do you have like a chronograph or anything like that? I had a chrono. Um, it seems
1: like every inexpensive chrono is also unreliable. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know even good chronos are a little finicky, especially under artificial lighting. So um, I think it's a nice to have, uh, especially if you're like a YouTuber that loves talking FPS and stuff like that. It's, it's nice. But um, <laughs> no, I had one I actually just got rid of it just because like I said, it was so unreliable and I would rather just make some space in the room. Um, Other things that I've got, uh, I've got a tape measure just so you can measure your axle to axle, your brace height, make sure those specs are on, Um, you know, Torx wrenches, just like, just like your Allen wrenches, a lot of bows are starting to use that. You want to have whatever uh, essential tools for that. Uh, And then the other thing that I think is helpful for, uh, um, for just checking your specs is a um, something to measure the poundage of the bow. Um, so uh, last chance archery, uh, I have their older one, um, which is starting to creak on me, and that is a little terrifying. But they have a new <laughs> uh, Gen three. I think it's a little red one, um, but it's just a digital scale, so you can pull your bow back with it, and it'll tell you what uh, what your true poundage is of your bow, and what your holding weight is as well. Um, and that's a good thing to have too if you're someone that travels, because I use that for uh, making sure my luggage um, is, uh, is, is within the airline limits. So I don't get hit with those baggage fees too.
0: Yeah. Actually, that would be a, so I don't have, um, I no, actually, I think I do have one of the, the draw weight, but I don't think I've used it. And I have one of the ones that is it. So is the one that they have, is that where you actually draw it back and you're holding yep. it? Or is that one that you like pull down on the bow?
1: I like the one where you actually pull back on where you're holding it and you actually pull back cause you can knock an arrow with it. Um, I've seen people pull cable, pull strings off of limbs using that vertical pull down, like even yeah. in shops and stuff. Um, so not to say that doesn't work. It definitely does. But, uh, I like having the little handheld one cause it feels just like pulling back the bow and I can have an arrow knocked. Um, it just seems a little safer.
0: Oh yeah. The pull down ones. Cause I think that's what I have. And it's still in this yeah. case because I remember how afraid I was every time I'd be at the shop (laughs) and have to check it and like make sure you don't want it obviously for it to lock at full draw like you have to get to the point where it's like right before and then let go and make sure you're not torquing it at all it just scares the shit out of me when I think of using that thing and and I I I, I, so one that you can draw back with like with it in your hand and have an arrow on there makes me feel way better and I think I'm gonna uh, look at adding that to my to my thing as well, because it's just, like I said, it's just, it gives me that peace of mind. And then yeah. also for the luggage thing, cause like, so how I do it now is I stand on my scale and then I like pick up my luggage <laughs> and I stand on it and subtract the weight. But sometimes the luggage is too big that I can't yeah. see the scale and then I get off and disappears and it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we've all been, that's when, uh, what was that? The, our math
1: class from back in grade school actually pays off remembering how to do that. But yeah. Yeah. And then I think the only other thing I really use is I've got a little scale for, uh, for measuring my arrows. Um, but, uh, but that's it. And that's, you know, honestly, like if you're making your own arrows, like that's one of those things, like going back to like talking about, you know, what you can get away with. Uh, I realized having built hundreds, if not thousands of arrows over the last couple of years, like if it's within five grains, I am not going to notice a difference at, especially at hunting and even tack distances. Um, with my level of shooting, at least I'm not Levi Morgan. So, I, you know, maybe that varies, but um, I know for a while everybody was really trying to get within one grain uh, of each other. And honestly, like I didn't notice that it's really like it's got to be like 10 grains plus. And uh, if you're once you get consistent building arrows, um, you know, I don't get more than like two or three grain variation, even if I'm like totally not paying attention to what I'm doing with the glue yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, that's one of those, again, like nice to have, it's cool to know what your arrow weight is, um, you know, officially and not, you could obviously run the calculator. Most websites give you the the stats for the, the weights of the components and whatnot, but it's just nice knowing exactly where your arrows come out to. So that's another like nice to have, but definitely not a necessity.
0: And it's cheap though, too. Like I think the one yeah. I have, I bought for under 10 bucks or somewhere around there. I mean, it's not probably the most reliable thing, but it seems to, seems to work pretty good and measure that.
1: Yeah. Wow. And and that goes back to like, like if you're looking at change arrows and stuff like that, like I realized over the years, like I really like a 450 ish grain arrow. Like that just always seems to be out of my setups and my draw length, like what I, I feel most comfortable with the trajectory, with how it shoots. Um, so that's just a cool thing to know. Right.
0: Yeah, no, no, most definitely. And yeah, that's, that's the same here. And I've actually found that like, even when I switch arrows, if I get something pretty close, like you said, within five or six, seven grains, they're pretty much shooting the same. So like I can yep. go, um, and as long as they're the, the same diameter and everything, like I can go out and test different arrows on the same bow, same sight, and not be worried about losing them through the yard.
1: Yeah, it's always uh, – I always lose a couple if you got to make your own sight tape with a brand new setup. So that's that's never fine, just kissing brand new arrows goodbye.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. I actually just found like – I think because it's like when it's winter time here and you have the ground thawing and then freezing and thawing and it kind of yeah. changes things. All of a sudden, arrows that I apparently have lost over time like start to resurface themselves that I couldn't mm-hmm. find that like went <laughs> underneath the grass and stuff that I, when I missed the target. And I'm like – I, you know, just the other day I was out there and I found like a piece of uh, a back of an arrow. I'm like, how did I look forever for this thing? Like, why couldn't I have found it then? But here it is just sitting on the top of the the ground. But it's kind of funny.
1: Yeah. The ground's too porous here. It just soaks up. Even on pass-throughs, on animals, I've had arrows just disappear. And I like, I'm just like, I don't understand like where this went to the upside down or something. I I don't get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, that's (laughs) funny. But no, I think, I think we ran through, uh, that stuff pretty good. And, and it was nice kind of talking through it. And as I'm, you know, I'm going to be setting up another bow here shortly and just like playing around with it. And it's just, it's fun to kind of geek out with it and and play with different setups. And, and you don't even have to geek out on it and like want to try different things. It's just nice. Like you said, to, to be able to work on those things, um, yourself if you want. And if you're having problems, not have to make a special trip somewhere you can make those little adjustments and and uh be back in the game
1: yeah and and i'd say it's definitely one of those things where if you are going to get into it like and you're you're between like it's a little more money for the last chance versus this or it's a little more money for the bits versus that i go with those things that are like we were saying heirloom quality because you know if if, if a plastic piece breaks like you're gonna have to get another one it's gonna cost you the same distance uh same thing anyway um, but like those little things, like the bits doesn't go bad. The last chance, um, doesn't go bad. Um, and the draw boards, things like that, like that all sticks around for years and years and years. So it's, um, it's just something that it's, it's an investment in your hunting. If you got the space and the time to do it.
0: Yeah, no, m- most definitely. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, yeah, play around with it and set up some, some new bows and stuff for you. Uh, you excited to, are you testing any new setups right now or what are you doing? Yeah, I should have a new bow.
1: Uh, I think actually PSE launched the new bows as, uh, as we were talking here. So hopefully I'll have a, a new bow here shortly and, uh, we'll be setting that up, but I actually I'm, I'm getting ready to write a article for dialed cause I went to my shop and shot all the new bows, um, from all the manufacturers and there's so many freaking good ones. Um, so yeah. I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm hoping I'll get some, uh, coming through my house from, uh, buddies and whatnot that I'll get to set up and work on cause there's just it's such a good time to be a bow hunter. I love that. Uh, that new prime really impressed me. Um, that was just a comfy bow to shoot. And, uh, the, the bow actually that carbon one was, uh, felt really great too. Um, huh. but, uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much good stuff out there. It's just, you know, finding what flavor ice cream do you like kind of deal. But, uh, but yeah, just a uh, lot of, a lot of cool stuff. So I'm stoked to be following along. I think, uh, Uh, I'm sure there's new stuff dropping uh, as we're talking, but, uh, but definitely cool.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I've said this, you know, when I worked at a bow shop, everything like it was go in there and shoot the different manufacturers. You know, I, I obviously like shooting the primes. I love the feel of them. Um, But try them all out, see what fits you the most and, and go in and, and play around with them and see what bow fits you the best. What, you know, don't, you know, I remember when I was first, when I first started out, I was like, Matthews was just like, it was just Matthews or nothing. Like that's if yep. you wanted a good bow, it was Matthews. And I'm not saying Matthews doesn't make a good bow now they do, but like, it was just, that's the way I looked at it. And I went and mm-hmm. when I finally, after having a, a bow that was, you know, 15 years old, went to get a new one. I just wanted the new flagship Matthews when I had a job out of college to get, because it was like, that's just what you are supposed to do. Yeah. And once I learned of, uh, like, being able just to try them out, and that's when, you know, when I first, the first, uh, I think the Logic was the first prime that I had owned. It was because mm-hmm. I went through and shot all the different ones. And at that's that was a time, great bow, too. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the the bow that I wanted to, to shoot. And there's mm-hmm. all the manufacturers make some really great bows now, especially, you know, the top manufacturers that have been around for a while, they make some really good bows. It's just what fits you kind of fits your style, what you're looking for with it. Um, and I think that's, what's that's, what's really cool about it.
1: A hundred percent. And I'd say like, if your shop lets you like bring your stabilizer and if you can bring your sight, like, cause remember that I think a lot of people, they probably go in, shoot a couple arrows through a bare bow at a target. That's five feet away, right? You're blank bailing it. Uh, and that, you know, especially now, like all of the bows are so dead in the hand, um, you really want to see like, how's that thing actually going to balance when you start strapping your necessary accessories to it? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know like, you know, Matthews has been so dead in the hand and everybody now is finally cashing up, but they sold a ton of bows because you'd go in and shoot that thing and it made no noise. Right. Um, but, uh, but that's, you know, now everybody's kind of right on top of each other with that. Um, so the only way you're going to tell is like, how's this work with, the stuff I already have, or the stuff that I plan on running. So make sure, like, if you can, um, take that stuff into account because it, it makes a difference, right?
0: No, it definitely does, and it, you know it depends on the this how the the bow balances out as far as like you know if you're running a big back bar or you're doing different yep. things like that. Like I realized with. With my prime, with having the center grip, I don't need to run like a whole bunch of weight or anything like that. For sure. Some people do like that, so that you know yeah. might not be the the best fit for it. But like it, it you're like what you're saying is what you like to use and your accessories that you have on there, or if you have like a big, heavy spot hog out there on the the front of it. Like it's going to weigh a little bit more um, and, and make your bow is going to be a little bit top heavy when you have that on there. Um, And it's so
1: subjective too, because what one guy likes and you could take two killers and they'll have totally different setups, right? Like it's, it's really like what grip feels great to you. What, you know, with a back wall, like some guys like a spongy back wall, some guys like a hard back wall. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's so important to just test them all and figure it out and, uh, you know, try not to let uh, too many voices get in your head with that. Um, that's, you know, obviously like we've all got our brands that we like, but a lot of that comes down yeah. to, we all recognize that like they're good and we like the people behind those brands as well. Right. Like, but all of the, I, I agree with you hundred percent, all those new, all the new bows coming out, especially the last couple of years, they're all phenomenal. Um, it's just figuring out like what's going to work for you and how you hunt and what you're hunting too, like I, I love a 33, 34 inch bow. It's just a little too big for the areas and the types of stuff. Like I can't get into some ground blinds or some areas or just with a a bigger bow like that. So um, yeah, figuring all that stuff out's important.
0: No, d- no, definitely. And and uh, the the last thing that I'll say is like about I guess like the the different bows and everything is I know you've had some influence with uh, the site that I've been using. Um, yep. the, the dialed Arxos site and everything. And what, what's your role kind of been in with helping those guys out with with that site?
1: Yeah. So I was fortunate that, uh, and I don't know if I intended it this way, but so, uh, Kyle, who I was talk- I mentioned earlier, uh, from DCA custom arrows, he's actually friends with Bill from iron will also. Um, he's another engineer, like just brilliant engineering mind. Um, I don't know if he or somebody else kind of tapped me just for some, um, just for some like input from like an end user, like, hey, you talk to a lot of people, you nerd out on this stuff, what do you think? And I got looped in pretty early on when some of the first CAD drawings were coming out um, and uh, just had pretty consistent meetings. So I, I had to, I got to have a lot of input from like a end user perspective, like what I would like to see in like a, in, you know, the ultimate, like, hunting site that I could use for tack and having fun as well too. Right. So, um, you know, I don't want to overplay my, uh, my role at all. I think my one meaningful contribution was, uh, I, I told them to put a little window. So when they do have that light that comes out, it lights up your bubble too. Um, that's probably my claim to fr- fame on the site, but, <laughs> um, but I did get to talk to them and help out with like some of the, the adjustments and just what, what, like, what feedback like i've received from people um having shot like a lot of sites and talked to a lot of people um and just give that that feedback um as uh, as a tester um for dial then you know i love those guys over at that that company you know I, I like that i like that they're they're bringing something new to the table i think sites are one of those things where uh, it's, it, you know, so much stuff in archery, we get to a point and then we're like, okay, it's good enough. And nobody really develops on it in a meaningful way. Any further, like most site companies, if you look at their sites, they've gotten more complicated over the years, not less, which is really not what you want to do. Like from an engineering perspective, you want to be eliminating parts and redundancies. And cause those are all potential failure points. Right. So, um, for me, I was sold on the design early on. I thought it had a lot of promise and I'm super stoked with how the, especially the latest production models have come. Um, But I get hit up with, with that pretty regularly. And I'm honest with people, like even going back to my first prototype site, which was really just, I got it right here. This thing was just a 3d, there's a screws coming out. The, uh, this was just like a, basically like a proof of concept. Most of the parts were 3d. Um, just to like prove that, like the design could work, it wasn't meant to be like a production model. And so this front tower has like a a good amount of wobble. And I was able to hit as well as I can shoot, uh, out to 140 yards at tack, um, with this thing. So after that, I was pretty sold on it. Um, you know, like any company, I'm sure they're going to be making updates and changes and refining things over, over time. But, um. I'm pretty stoked on it. And I think for like an all around sight for somebody who like, like for me, when I, when I whitetail hunt, uh, I keep my sight mostly set to 30 and I just know where my holds are at, uh, closer distances out to like 40 and then anything further than that, I'm going to, I want to dial it precisely. Um, but that's just kind of how I hunt. So for me to be able to do that with the Arxos and then go to attack and be able to shoot out to 140 and have an actual pin for that is a lot of fun because, uh, for me, like what I try to do for Knights of the Apex is just like, I want to get people stoked on archery because bow hunting is such a overwhelming thing to get into. Right. And there's so much to it. And there's so many facets and little niches that you can like really nerd out on. Um, but for me, like I just really connected with the, the tuning part of it. And if I can make archery more digestible for people, hopefully that opens them up to potentially going bow hunting, or at least knowing about bow hunting, uh, and then get them out to attack or going out into the woods. So for me, like, um, you know, the Arxos is a great solution for the for those people. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully that didn't come out as a, as a sales pitch. I'm not getting paid by them. So no,
0: (laughs) (laughs) no, no, no. I was just, I I just knew that you had some sort of a, you know, impact with that or helping them out a little bit and, and I'd use the site. So that's why I, uh, you know, I'd use the, the triple pin that was at the time, a prototype and, um, there, and I, I'd love I loved using that site and getting to have it because I always set my top pin for whitetails at 25 and then the speed of my bow, I think the second one's like 38 somewhere okay. in there and then maybe 50 or... I can't remember exactly what the layout is off the top of my head now, but um, I have... Yeah, it, it goes depending on the speed of your bow and being able to have those pins. I don't really need to adjust. I, I can have it there and and have it set, so it's pretty nice. And I
1: like that they're open to solutions that the customers want to see. Like, I think that's such an important thing. Like they didn't have to make a bracket for the UltraView scopes, cause obviously they have their own sites. Um, but like I, I, I bought, my wife actually bought me for Christmas, one of these three pin, um, the new three pin from UltraView, And I know they're working on a bracket for that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's cool that like, they want to do that. They want to create solutions for people and they want to, to solve problems for their customers. Um, not just kind of force another product down people's throats, which is something that's like really refreshing.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, I think it's really cool. So AJ, what are, um, what are you going to be working on this year? What's, you got any big plans for 2023?
1: Uh, so I'm going to be at, uh, ooh, up my mic. Uh, I'm going to be at uh, Winter Strong for uh, Soarnex coming up in February. I'm going to be helping them out with uh, some content and uh, probably Ditching away to get to partake in some of the activities and festivities they got going on there, but uh, other than that, definitely going to be hitting up uh, a total archery challenge. Probably planning a little vacation to Montana, and hopefully I'll get over to PA two because I had a lot of fun at that event last year. Um, and then other than that, I'm really going to try and get out for more hunting this year. Uh, I'm going to try and get some turkey, uh, some Osceola time in here in Florida, and then head up to New York for the opener there in uh, in May and uh other than that i'm gonna be doing a lot of uh haven't planned any whitetail trips i'm gonna just be doing a lot of urban stuff so uh, i grew up on Long island um new york so it's a lot of suburban hunting there um and that's what me and my dad uh do a lot of and we've gotten some access to some pretty cool properties over the years so um, i'm gonna carve out some time get some family time hunt with my pops and then uh, i'll be back here in florida trying to get uh one of these swamp bucks on the ground because they've been just a, a real pain in the butt and uh, i've got the itch to just get one of these guys real real bad so yeah
0: <laughs> uh, i can imagine uh it's, it sounds like a challenge down there for sure and and uh it's cool it's cool that you do that the suburban thing you know on long island i think that's a that's a cool i've I've talked to some other people not through the podcast but that hunt um long island and everything and there's, there's some big deer running around there too surprisingly big, even here in Florida, like I had, you know,
1: I, I finally got permission to a little two acre chunk of property and I was surprised what I had on camera. Um, and I think honestly, you were a big inspiration for me on this. Like, you know, I think a lot of us, especially on the East coast, we always look at like those guys out West and like doing the elk hunts and things like that. But, um, you know, like seeing guys like you that really dive in and invest on what's in your own backyard and what's accessible. And like, that's just a style of hunting. Like for me, that was one of the things that really pushed me to really wanting to invest more time in hunting Florida more. However I can, because this is where I live. Like I want to, I love this place. I want to understand it. Like I can't, I feel like I can't call myself a hunter if I don't understand how to hunt my home state. Right. Like that's just doesn't feel right. So, um, so for me, yeah, I just, I want to, you know, just keep working on those types of hunting that I did growing up, keep working on what I am uh, where I am now. And for me, as long as I'm taking a mature buck for the area, I'm happy with that. And, or even taking doughs to fill the freezer. That's, that's my goal is the memories the freezer. And that's, you know, I mean, that's something that guys that don't kill 200 inch deer say, but, uh, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to justify to myself. No, now. no, no, no. That's,
0: I, I think, uh, I think, I think that's important to want to wanna do that in your, in your home state and fit in and not, we don't have like, and that doesn't mean like, that's not a justification by any means. Cause like, they're just not, they're not there. Like you can't hunt something that's not there and you can't, you got to look at realistic expectations for what, and th- this is just my opinion, but realistic expectations for what you have and what you're looking as an outcome, as far as a goal of, um, you know, if you're happy with shooting a mature buck or you're happy shooting a, a yearling, like it don't really matter. It's what, it's whatever you're going to go home and be happy with looking at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day. So like, that's, that's the way I look at it and and everyone's gonna have a little bit different goals and and that's why I've liked you know, I've liked hunting the the big woods, the mountain bucks that not don't always tote the biggest racks on top of their head, but it's it's the whole everything about it that i love like the whole experience and the fun of figuring them out and the places that they live is just like that gets me going and and i think that's cool like my my tagline had always been for east meets west was kind of which is weird that i had it as a question because i I don't think that should have been that way but how do you define adventure and it's like really it's yours to define no matter where you're at and kind of and figuring that out but
1: and, and now that I have a family, right? Like that's something else that you got to take into account too, right? Like I would rather hunt more than hunt less, but get a bigger animal. Right. So like, if, yeah. if I, if I can hunt suburban more often and, you know, bring my son there, that means more to me than if I blow my whole bonus on an outfitter hunt and I only get to go on that one hunt. Right. Not that that's yeah. bad. I've, I've done that plenty of times and it's great again to see those <laughs> big bucks and, uh, not having to do as much of the light work for it, but, uh, it's, I, I, for me, I just, I value the time in the woods, uh, and the time of family. So, um, yeah, yeah that's
0: what I'm looking forward to for this year. Awesome. Well, cool. Tell everyone where they can follow along with your stuff, check out, you know, everything that you're putting out there.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Instagram is where I'm definitely most active. Uh, it's nights of the apex nights with a K uh, and same thing on, uh, on YouTube, uh, going to be getting back to that. And then, uh, so one of these days I'll, I'll restart the, the Bow Nerds podcast, which, uh, you know, we do deep dives on gear and we have uh, people from within the industry, engineers, um, guys behind the companies uh, actually giving insight into some of the products that like we talk about and what goes into it. Um, so that's something that i uh, going to be working on more uh, in the next year as well. Um, but yeah, and then apex.com. um, got some little, uh, accessories for your at-home bow shop. If, uh, you know, you're tired of losing little, little parts and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, um, I'm going to hold you accountable for keeping that podcast going or restarting it, <laughs> getting it rolling. So, uh, be looking forward to that. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Bo. Yeah. Thanks, buddy.